This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book at the Wednesday dinner hour service and we are still <coughs> looking at a few outstanding <coughs> passages in Second Timothy. In the course of this little study we have emphasised particularly the place that the word of God occupies in the mind of the writer of this epistle. In the last chapter when he's viewing the present day, as it were, the last days when perilous time shall come, his great remedy is preach the word. Well, that is looking at the last chapter. So we go backwards into the third chapter and ask, what is this word? And we discovered what we know already, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That's the word. Well, then we move back again (coughs) to another chapter, that is chapter 2, And we say, even though all scripture is given by inspiration of God, even though all scripture is profitable, we must be careful rightly to divide it. And we discovered that we can make contradictions out of the word if we don't do this. We can discover that our Saviour himself told a seeker that the way in which to obtain everlasting life was to keep the commandments. And the epistle to the Galatians says, Whosoever of you are seeking to be justified by the law, you're fallen from grace, and Christ shall profit you nothing. That could make a contradiction, unless you realise that in one context it's the kingdom teaching which is still being pursued, and the other it's the gospel of the grace of God that is now taking its place. So you see, we're moving backwards, strangely enough, in this epistle, to chapter 1. Now if we have to preach the word, And if we have this word as a written testimony given by inspiration of God, and if we have to rightly divide it, it looks as though we must have some sort of a standard. And of course you know what I'm going to say in chapter 1. The apostle wrote to Timothy and said, verse verse 13, Hold fast or possess the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So now we've got each chapter with a sort of an advancing teaching. We have the, the, the word that's necessary to preach in these days. We know it's been given by inspiration of God. We've got to be careful we don't take a bit from the wrong place, otherwise it may be not a word in season, and we're not left wondering, we've got a pattern. So this word translated form in chapter 1 here is translated pattern in First Timothy. He then says his manner of life and the way he was saved is a pattern. Here he says the words I speak are patterns. So the man and his doctrine walk together as as always should. Well now, this is associated in this chapter with a trust. You see, we're not dealing with inanimate things, we're dealing with living things, and we're dealing with things of God. And it's quite impossible for a believer in Christ to be faced with the fact that God has broken silence and spoken, that God has even committed it to writing, without being conscious that here is something for which we have some responsibility. It's not possible for us to know the word of God and the way of salvation and then do nothing at all about it. Because the very word gospel, evangel, is strictly speaking just a message, a good message, that's all. But a message that's never delivered ceases to be a message, it's just black marks on a sheet of paper. See, I was very concerned that when Mr. Foster came in just now, there's been a letter waiting for him for several days. It was pinned up there, so I yelled out, here, don't forget there's a letter up there. Because 
if it wasn't seen, oh, there may be something there that was most important for our chapel, somebody sending a donation of somebody, I don't know what, and it wouldn't have been any good to us still pin there, you see. Well, think about that, and you believe the scriptures from beginning to end. But then the challenge comes, and what are you doing about it? So chapter 1, if you'll look at it for a moment, of course our time is so fleeting, it's only to direct your attention in these meetings. Chapter 1, the Apostle said in verse 11, he was an appointed preacher, apostle, and teacher of the Gentiles. So here we have this emphasis, preaching, one who was sent, and one who was a teacher. For which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, now instead of translating it, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him, if you have the original in front of you, you'll find that is not exactly what he said. He said, <coughs> I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which has been committed, and that's all it says. And it doesn't say whether you commit something to the Lord, or the Lord commits something to you, until you look at the next two verses. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep. You see? Well now, here's the two sides. That which the Lord has committed unto us, he is able to keep. But that doesn't relieve us of some responsibility. Although we could say, oh, the Lord watches over his word and will keep it, whatever we do, true enough, friends. But he looks to us as partners with him. We may be very, very insignificant. We may say, I am less than the least of all saints. We may say we are but earthen vessels. True. But then God has been condescending enough to use earthen vessels and to use human instruments. As he puts it very strangely, perhaps at first sight in Romans the 10th chapter, how shall they believe on him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? As though God is bound hand and foot and can't give anybody a message except through a preacher. Well, he says that's the usual way. You have been saved. And you pass it on to somebody else. And so the message grows from mouth to mouth. And the way in which the gospel is best preached is not standing in the pulpit and speaking to a great congregation, but to be able to go to somebody and say, I was in this predicament. I used this remedy and it cured me. Well, people are doing that with regard to all sorts of things you can buy over a chemist's counter. And sometimes it's as well to just let them talk and don't take it. But in this case, you can stand where the blind man stood. It says, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. That's a part of our trust. Well, let's look at this word committed, because it's a key word here. You'll find at the end of, of 1 Timothy, um, verse 20, that's just on the same page so far as my book is concerned, all Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. You see? Committed to thy trust in 1 Timothy. Committed to thy trust in 2 Timothy. And this time he gives the other side. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. That's a little bit up to date, isn't it? The word opposition is antithesis. All the scrupulous balancing of this and that and the other of a science which is after all <coughs> falsely <coughs> so called. And it referred to the Gnostic teaching in his day, not so much to what we call modern science. But it gets perilously near it sometimes. Just look back with you to the Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter, and see the way in which this trust 
distressed. Chapter 12, 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whom much is given, of him shall be required. And to to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. That word committed is this same word that the apostle has used. Of course this is a drastic context in connection with the kingdom side, but it shows the element of responsibility attached to it. And then if you look at chapter 16 of this same epistle, this same gospel of Luke, where we have the unjust steward. <coughs> and our Lord's comment in verse 11 is, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you <coughs> your trust, the true riches? Commit to your trust, there's the word. And then he goes on to exemplify the principle in the same gospel with the talents that were committed to the trust of servants while the king or their master was away on a journey. And when he came back, he asked what they'd done with it. And one had made ten, and one had made five, and the other made an excuse and said, Oh, I know that thou wert an austere man, you see? The one who had one just hid it in the earth and produced nothing. So you see, we have to watch that we don't merely become absorbers but we also ought to be radiators. We are taking in in order that we may get out. Because if it's all taking in, there's going to be some, something happen to us, rather drastically, you see. But we are to be, as it were, channels through which God can operate, for he's stooped to use the human instrument. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2-4, I'm giving you these passages because they are illuminating this word from the scriptures themselves. 1 Thessalonians 2 he says <clears throat> verse 3 for our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness nor in guile but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel so we speak he's not only looking at it from a responsibility but he says what a priceless privilege to be allowed of God to be put in trust if anyone had brought something to you very precious an heirloom that linked their present generation with the one that's gone, and they had vivid memories of loved ones now past, and they put it in your trust while they went on a journey. Well, it would be a sad thing if you played fast and loose with that responsibility. It got lost or damaged and you didn't know what had happened. Are we going to be like that when we stand before the Lord of glory that left and came down here for our sakes, died and rose again, and then entrusted us? with this message. As though, he says, <clears throat> I could have used other means. He's got all creation at his disposal. But I'm trusting you. I've said this before, but it's enshrined in a little legend in the Middle Ages that when the Lord went up to heaven, the angels said to him, and oh, what have you done? So that folks will know all about it. Oh, he says, I've told 12 men. Is that all, Lord? He says, that's all. You see, just 12 men in a world that was antagonistic. He didn't have even an army of a few thousand, just twelve men. And when you look at the frailty of the folks that are standing now against all the attack of the evil one, belittling the word of God, undervaluing the person of Christ, you might begin to say, like a voice crying in a wilderness, who's going to bother? But that's his responsibility, not ours. 
so obstructing, you see, today <coughs> that we have been allowed to be put into this trust. And 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11 gives another personal aspect of the apostle himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, look at the title he gives it. This man's not underestimating what's been entrusted to him. The glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And then he stops. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for he hath counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now this is a man writing who was an apostle who could have said nothing at all about that aspect and kept himself on a pedestal but we value his testimony the more when we realise how true it was. This is the earthen vessel that God used to bring salvation to countless number of Gentiles. Some, when they read Psalm 51 and see the way that David has to confess to a double sin of murder and adultery and was conscious of being unclean and guilty, he says in that psalm, after he had been restored, then shall I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And some have said, well, that's the last man on earth to be a teacher, the one who's been guilty of such desperate sins. Friends, that's about the only sort of person that can be a teacher. The man who can say out of his own heart, I was there, I was in that horrible pit, and he lifted me out, and he put a new song into my mouth, into my mouth, and a message of free salvation to others just like myself. So you see, it's been a little word of exhortation to the few of us, but as there are those listening who will join with us who live thousands of miles away presently, all that God would give unto us the consciousness that it's one thing to stand firm and believe the Bible to be true. It's another thing to emphasise the need to rightly divide it and it's yet another thing, after you've done all that, to just see to it that you don't hide your talent in the earth, but are conscious that you have been given a sacred trust.